On today's show, I'm going to be talking with Sean Della Croce, and she's got a song out called Rebecca Henry, and it is from an album called Illuminations. We're going to talk about that. So welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure. You know, maybe I jumped the gun. I saw that you consider yourself Americana. I am a fan of Americana, and I think it's a good a good word to describe what I do generally. Um, I also like the term singer-songwriter. You know, it's definitely lyric-heavy music, and that's where I'm coming from growing up in Nashville here and, and really beginning my musical journey as a songwriter primarily, more so than a musician. So Americana, singer-songwriter, either one uh, definitely fits my my goals. Well, Nashville is the singer-songwriter experience, and it's so much more than just country music. You know, you have world-class recording studios, and, uh, and it really is a songwriter's mecca. I mean, do you find you're surrounded by storytellers there? Yeah, absolutely. You know, Nashville, um, I guess if, if, if any listeners out there have watched the Ken Burns country music documentary, you know, Nashville hasn't always been a music city, but, um, but it has been for many decades now in, a, in an industry town, a real country music industry kind of insider town. Um, but with that comes like a great community of creators. And I would definitely say growing up here, uh, especially kind of ha having my childhood take place in the 1990s, early 2000s, there was just such an explosion of incredible um, country music and uh, wonderful, you know, women songwriters like Gretchen Peters um, alongside, you know, icons like John Prine. And it was really a time where um, songwriters and lyricists were, were valued. And, uh, and I think that tradition definitely continues to today, but that's the world that I came of age in. And that's, that's my primary influence that, that storytelling piece that, that comes from the deep traditions of country music, even though the sound may change. But it definitely has assimilated a lot of pop and rock influences, but maybe we miss some of the roots of country. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's a, it's a complicated question. What is country music or what is any genre? Um, to me, country music is, you know, is something, and as somebody who doesn't, definitely doesn't make contemporary country music, but I think the, the, the key or the, the foundation of the genre is that it, you know, tells the story of, of maybe people at the margins. Um, and that, that means different things across time, but in a way, country music, I think will always continue to do that. Um, what it looks like is going to evolve. You know, I was thinking the other day of um, Friends in Low Places, and that song was stuck in my head and thought about how in the 90s that tune was was perceived, as far as I can understand, as like, I mean, it was a tremendous hit and definitely wasn't Hank Williams. But we look at that now and we're like, oh, that was, that was a golden age of country when Garth Brooks was singing that song, or at least that's how I perceive Mm -hmm. that tune. Uh, and it looks very different from the country we hear today. <clears throat> so I think very much know, so. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I won't say anything about, you know, uh, more critical things I, I might have to say about the rampant sexism in uh, country music, but you know, there are people speaking much more articulately, articulately on that matter. And, uh, uh, it's present, but, uh, the Americana world has kind of come in to say, 
you know, let's get back to our roots. Let's get back to some acoustic instruments and some, some storytelling that maybe welcomes everyone. And I like that. Which artists do you feel like, like you're on the same wavelength with? That's a really good question. I mean, coming out of Nashville, there's, there's a ton of artists, um, who, who I respect and, and, uh, I definitely honor some of the great, uh, traditions in this town and some of the icons um of nashville that i think of in, in terms of songwriters like janice ian um these days i, I of, of course i'm a fan of what uh Marin morris is doing she seems to be everywhere at once and i i'm in awe of that uh and i'm a big fan of joy Aladakun, who who makes great singer songwriter music um and Allison Russell, who's just like coming out with songs that are absolutely fearless and incredible. So uh, there's definitely artists out there who, who I'm admiring and, and uh, enjoying their work. Well, I'm glad you brought up Janice Ian, because I was reading on your bio that she said some very flattering things about you. And I think when you take someone like that, she wasn't necessarily country music. You know, she had a big pop crossover. Um, at 17, but it seems like when you're especially, you know, a storyteller kind of songwriter that transcends genre. Yeah, I appreciate you drawing that connection. She definitely is a, is a great example of that. And that's, that's always my hope, you know, genre is a really useful signpost for listeners or for creators to, to kind of, uh, build community. And at the same time, I think if someone is is saying something true that rings true and is authentic, it could transcend uh, any genre and uh, any barrier. And that's the beauty of music to me is its ability to to jump across borders and identity lines and and say something true about about what it's like to be alive. You know, at least that's that's where I come from with it. You know, uh, on the on the other side of the spectrum where you've got you know, pop and dance music, uh, I think that remains true in its own way. So, yeah, I think for me, lyrics and honesty uh, coming out of that tradition of great female songwriters like Gail Davies and Janice Ian and Gretchen, uh, that that to me is the primary motivator. Say something that can't be denied and uh, and trust that it'll connect with the audience who needs it. Mm -hmm. You know, so interesting, a few years back, they were doing, I think it was like the 30th anniversary of uh, Reba McIntyre. She did a cover of Fancy, and it was kind of interesting, you know, almost like passing on the baton. It just seems like, you know, to see how enduring that is, not even a remake, but then the 30th anniversary of the remake, it just seems yeah. like people are really thirsting for these songs. I couldn't agree with you more, and it's funny that you brought up Fancy because I... Uh... That, that song is so, so infectious and so powerful. And I'll tell you, yeah, talking about Reba McIntyre passing the torch and the tradition of that song. I mean, it wasn't, you know, but a couple months ago, I was in a uh, lesbian bar here in Nashville and that song was a hit on the karaoke mic. I mean, the whole bar was singing every word of fancy and hanging on every single lyric. And, you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't think you could drop a pin anywhere uh, in America almost. And that song would resonate with people. Um, 
even decades and decades later. So I think that's a great example of, you know, saying something that, that cannot be denied. What are the go-to karaoke songs in a lesbian bar? You know, I have found, you know, you'd think maybe come to my window or something like that. You hear like surprisingly not a ton of Brandy Carlisle in lesbian bars, which, you know, I would be th- that she would be my number one go to. But I have had success with uh, nine to five. You know, it's a it's a classic. If you want to play it conservative, you know, you're always going to get uh, a great response to something like nine to five in a lesbian bar. I wouldn't. You can't go wrong. And then, and then, you know, you throw in some Britney Spears, um, some no doubt. And every now and then you hear some, some show tunes. So that those are the kind of the ringer for me. I can't, I can't sell a show tune, but I've seen some incredible performances. <laughs> nice. Nice. Well, again, now you bring up Dolly Parton nine to five and people forget, you know, her huge catalog of songs. And, and it, again, you know, you think of, uh, Jolene or, you know, her coat of many colors mm-hmm. and these, you know, very um, sentimental or just personal songs. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she is she's an incredible example of somebody who's taken on iconic status, um, especially recently, it feels like. I don't know if that's just me being in the bubble here in Nashville, but I mean, I see her her image everywhere. Uh, you know, in murals and things like that. But I think that's something people really respect about her is that deep down, she is the, she's the creator of, of everything you see that's Dolly Parton, it it seems, you know, she's the songwriter, the performer, and uh, the persona that you get to experience when you listen to her music. And, and so it goes from, you know, head to toe, you know, you're getting something authentic when you when you sing a Dolly Parton song or you listen to one performed by her. And it's a, it's an incredible mm-hmm. thing. Well, here's a name we don't hear as much of, but maybe we should. Jesse Coulter. Jesse Coulter. Now, now you, this is a deep cut for me. So you're going to have to enlighten me. Uh Oh, so Jesse Coulter, I think of, of her as more of like a seventies, Maybe, you know, post Bobby Gentry and not quite the, you know, part of the whole, remember the new pack of country, you know, after the traditional Loretta Lynn's and Tammy Wynette's mm-hmm. kind of the new generation of women in country in the 70s. Uh Oh, I'm probably dating myself now. No, <laughs> no. I'm getting, but I just like that whole idea of, you know, who fills in those gaps? Like, I think. Her big, you know, probably the one most people know is I'm Not Lisa, Mm. which was a a big hit in the mid uh, 70s. She kind of had that big thing going with Waylon Jennings. And it's kind of like the guys have, you know, this outlaw country thing. It's almost like she was the honorary woman of outlaw country. Yeah, It seems like it took maybe a couple decades until, you know, there was always Mm. the promise of, you know, the uh, women of outlaw country music. Mm-hmm. But it seems like it took a long time until, I think it was, you know, here for the party, Gretchen Wilson, you know, to really shake things up in kind of, you know, the rock and roll country way. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a that's a great point. And yeah, Gretchen, Gretchen Wilson, I, I remember when she came on the scene, of course, with Redneck Woman, and it was such a a massive hit. Um, I think that's a that's a good example of 
making space for women to to embody different identities and cultural values, you know, within the arts. Um, there's no such thing as a universal woman consciousness, of course, and and she brought a whole new perspective that clearly spoke to so many people um, and and continues to do so. And that's that's the beauty of these genres evolving over time and expanding is that we can hear from many perspectives and there's something for everyone in there and uh, there's something to be gained. And uh, that's what's exciting going forward in music. Vince Gill, uh, he worked with you on the cut A Break in the Rain on your album. Uh, I think he played lead guitar. Yeah, yeah, I was really, really lucky um, that Vince was willing to join me on Break in the Rain. And uh, obviously his performance is is beautiful and poignant. And I'm, I'm amazed at how much emotion he can bring out of his instrument because that's, you know, that's, that's not my gift. And so I'm always in awe when I get to watch somebody uh, bring a guitar to its full potential and, uh, and capture the essence of a song. And yeah, I mean, he's an incredible artist who I've had the, the good fortune to get to spend some time around as I've grown up in Nashville. <clears throat> and he, uh, he is just as nice and kind-hearted and genuine as everyone says. And when I, when I asked him to, to lend a performance to that song, he, he didn't hesitate and he, he made it happen. And it was just, uh, it couldn't have turned out better. It's an absolute dream to, to get to share that recorded space with him forever. I'm, I am still grateful and in awe. Mm hmm And like like on just you know one song you, you like say have a Vince Gill play, but the people hearing your album or or people searching for Vince Gill online and then they discover your album, what's that like to say you know have his fan base suddenly discover you? Yeah, I mean I I certainly hope that for them it feels like a a good match. We're definitely not occupying the same genre or fan base typically, but I I do think it's a it's a beautiful braided tradition. And we have this overlap here where, uh, you know, I grew up absorbing so much of his music and his live performance that there's no denying that his, his influence is all over um, the way I sing or the way I approach a song or approach um, career and things like that. Try to glean lessons I've learned. So I, I hope that the Vince Gill fan who stumbles across Break in the Rain enjoys that song in particular as it is kind of the closest thing to that maybe uh not classic country but kind of more straightforward country uh on the record and uh, and then i hope they get to explore the rest of the tunes and, and see if there's anything in there that resonates with them i yeah definitely hope there is you know a lot of pretty big people when they're not on the road or touring are very open to recording with people yeah, I mean, it's definitely a small town. Like any industry town, there's many forces at play when it comes to co-writes and collaborations. I was lucky to have a, a, a personal relationship with Vince that that um, that let us be connected um, musically. But yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it is, it's changing rapidly. So anything I say today will probably be outdated next year. But But yeah, I mean, it's still a place where you know, new artists come to share their music and where established artists 
uh, can maybe feel safe and, uh, and like it's a, a safe place where they can try out new material or meet new collaborators or just have, you know, a semblance of a normal life in a, in a, in a nice town. <laughs> Rebecca Henry, did you have the track out for a while and then more recently decide to make a video of it? Yeah, yeah. We, um, we had been releasing some songs to radio and had put out the album. And Rebecca Henry was one song that people just kind of kept coming back to. And so in releasing it, um, as we have recently and putting out that video, um, it's really just been a process of kind of listening to what people wanted and, uh, and giving that to people. It's, it's a quirky song. It's not an obvious choice. And yet there's something about it that seems to resonate with audiences in person and also, um, on streaming platforms and things. So yeah, we made a, a video and uh, have, have just put it out. And uh, the wonderful photographer here in Nashville, Laura Partain um, portrays the, the other character um, in the video alongside me, not necessarily Rebecca Henry, but not necessarily not. And uh, the video is directed by uh, a wonderful artist here named Brett Price uh, with help from another great director, Connor Carroll. And it's, yeah, it's a, it's a gorgeous feast for the eyes, I think. Yeah, it has a great look to it. It's at once both modern, but also seems nostalgic, almost like we're looking back in time. Yeah, absolutely. And it takes place in this sort of, you know, uh, not a void per se, but on a kind of set. And, um, you know, Laura has her classic camera there. Um, I think it's five by seven where she, you know, classic exposure of film and, uh, and yeah, so there's something timeless about it. Something sort of, um, I don't want to say sentimental in a bad way, but sort of, sort of something that looks over your shoulder, um, in the spirit of the video. And I really enjoy that. And it was a pleasure to make, and it was really, really fun. You know, the song Rebecca Henry is about, you know, this character who's sort of, um, who you can't describe. And that's the, what the whole song tries to do is describe this ideal woman who is so mysterious and perfect and always unknown. And so when we made, went to make the video, you know, that was the spirit that we came with, like, let's keep this minimal, um, but make it intriguing and, and maybe raise some questions along the way with a, with a really clean narrative arc. And were you playing with ambiguity? Yeah, I think it's fair to say that for sure. Yeah, the 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 kind of glances at the camera and and the way that the the video unfolds definitely is a nod to the ambiguity in the song. You know, it's the song is like from the perspective of someone who has a crush on a barista and is afraid to to go talk to that person. Uh, and so you're trying to decode every, every glance and every, every word. And uh, it's an exhilarating feeling. And it's something that kind of requires mystery and ambiguity in order for it to work. And uh, so we wanted to make a video that, that wasn't in your face and didn't have any obvious answers at the end of it. Well, do you think part of its power is that it makes the viewer fill in the blanks 
and, and, and add their own interpretation? Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, something that I've thought of a lot about as I've gotten the chance to perform Rebecca Henry in front of live audiences and as we release this video is the fact that I want anybody to be able to stand in my shoes. You know, there's the specific details about Rebecca Henry, like she smells like cigarettes, she's never having kids, and she's a painter and these these things. But outside of that, I want somebody to, I want it to spark uh, a memory or a connection for the listener and, and yeah, let them fill in the blanks. If they can't do that, then, then maybe sort of the, the power of the song is diminished slightly. So the more wide open space there is for the listener to come fill in the gaps, stand in my shoes and experience it and apply it to their own Rebecca Henry, the better, uh, or maybe the more the song connects, I think. And that's, that's a place where as an artist, you know, I have, I get the chance to say the thing that I want to say and write the lyrics I want to write, but then I also can see where I can sort of step back and let the song mean something uh, to the listener. And that's a really special, special thing. And not every song is like that. So I enjoy that piece. It's all about the flirtation and maybe that's okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I really appreciate that question because I think it gets to the heart of the thing. That's that's how life is often. You know, we don't get instant gratification. We don't have complete control over the, the world around us and certainly not over the people around us. And sometimes, you know, it's it's hard to it's hard to describe, but sometimes things just are what they are. Sometimes things not sometimes, all the time, things are temporary everything passes and arises and goes away. And so Rebecca Henry, you know, stands firmly in that perspective that, that this, that we're playing with time here and we're playing with power and, uh, and sort of stands in the humility in that space that, you know, the, the whole perspective that I'm bringing in the song is that I'm kind of powerless to the charm of this person. And, uh, and I really don't know what to do about it next. So this is why I wrote the song in real life, actually, of course. And uh, and that's sort of the thesis, you know. Rebecca Henry doesn't see me, so I don't exist. She she never sees me. She doesn't see me at the end of the song. We don't talk. We don't meet. We don't get together. Uh, she, you know, I just miss her, and and uh, it it doesn't connect. But it's fun to imagine if it did, you know. So yeah, it's it's right along those lines. Uh, and, uh, and it's fun to, to sit in that humility and, and appreciation for, you know, the, how temporary and, uh, exciting life can be when we accept that. You know, I read so many things about the new generation and their, uh, dating habits or lack of mm -hmm. almost like this fear of, you know, connecting with people. They might, you know, swipe online and kind of survey the dating scene without making any contact now. Uh, do you think we're, we're, you know, in danger of not making enough just real face-to-face -face contact? That's a really good question. I mean, I, I see now how there can be a parallel there with Rebecca Henry and that, and that kind of new phenomenon. I think it's, you know, it's unknown how, how that will unfold and what good things will arise from that, what bad things will arise from that. But um, it is definitely something to consider. I mean, of course, we're all still 
trying to parse out and understand the effect of social media on our brains and our selves and professional and personal lives. And um, there's a lot of beauty that comes out of that connection. And then there's also many challenges um, that arise as well. And I certainly haven't figured it all out, but I think, yeah, I think Rebecca Henry comes from a little bit of that stance of, of intimidation and, um, you know, the song definitely takes place kind of in an imagined world, but also is totally inspired by real world interaction. Um, and I think, yeah, I guess if, if the song can meet people exactly where they are in that, uh, that would be a victory for me. But it's an interesting question. And it's, it's definitely something, you know, something that is worth exploring. I think there is maybe a little growing fear making that first move for, e for either fear of rejection or fear of it being misinterpreted. Yeah, I think, I think you're exactly right. And I think there's different dynamics that can inform that fear, although it is definitely a real thing, you know, as gender roles change or evolve or flex, you know, uh, the interactions between maybe men and women are, are not as cut and dried as they might've been in different eras. Um, I like to think that's for the better, but I don't, I don't live in that world. And I would say for myself, what I can speak to certainly and where Rebecca Henry is strongly coming from is the, you know, the queer world or the, the, the gay world where you may be afraid to make the first move because you, you face uh, not only rejection, but potentially, you know, exposure uh, to to harsh criticism or or hatred if you if your instincts are wrong about somebody you know that's kind of a dangerous dance and that's definitely um, something that I feel like I can appreciate and speak to a little bit more um, you know at least coming from the age in which I grew up you know perhaps that's different for for teenagers now. Um, but uh, but that was my experience for sure. You know, definitely afraid to make the first move because you could be you could be really wrong, and there could be more consequences than just a, a broken heart at stake. Mm -hmm. Well, country music has always seemed somewhat conservative, uh, and by extension, Nashville. But do you think over the years that uh, Nashville's become more gay friendly? Yeah, I, I certainly think so. I mean, I think the whole country has become more gay friendly for sure. I'm, I'm, you know, I was born in the nineties, so I'm, I'm, I don't know where I land in the spectrum of millennials, but my partner and I often remark about uh, the TV shows we see now and, uh, and just the, the cultural um, happenings. And we, we say, I really wonder how I would have received this if this was out when I was 16 years old, you know, oh, you know, I would have had such a role model if this person was on the radio when I was growing up. And of course, we had our own role models and our own, um, you know, cultural touchstones, but I see it proliferating. And it's so wonderful, like, as we were discussing earlier about Americana music, you know, especially in the arts, I think we all benefit from diverse perspectives, uh, whether that's, you know, political, social, cultural, whatever, uh, I'm in the category of belief that the more, more voices, uh, the better. And, uh, and then everyone gets a chance to gravitate towards something that speaks to them. Um, especially, 
with respect to things like television shows and music and, you know, uh, the written word, you know, it doesn't have, it, it doesn't have to be for everyone, but if there's, if there is something for everyone, then, then that's a good thing. And, and that definitely has gotten better. Well, speaking of the nineties, the decade you were born in, so I don't know if you'll know this, but I'm crossing my fingers, hoping you you think of this person as an influence. Okay. Sean Colvin. Of course. Well, and we share the name. So, I mean, in a world where there's <laughs> only like two women Sean's I've ever heard of, Sean Colvin is at the top of that list. Because I think when Sean Colvin came on the scene and you heard, you know, this big hit on pop radio, especially... You know, Sonny Came Home, which mm -hmm. was both a record and song of the year at the Grammy Awards. So, you know, very influential. But just to hear that, it almost felt like a return to the singer-songwriter. It was the era of, you know, Lilith Fair and Sarah yeah. McLaughlin. And there just seemed to be such a movement of female singer-songwriters then. I completely agree. And that must have soaked into my brain somehow maybe perhaps through mtv or vh1 <laughs> but uh which uh -huh. now is gonna that's gonna make me sound old to to a gen zer but um <laughs> but yeah i was definitely absorbing those influences and something i think about all the time and i i don't i don't know the answer but i think sean colvin would would fit in this category when i think about music or i think about career i just think about um Tracy Chapman's rise and the work that she has created over the course of her career. And you watch these videos of her playing it. I think Wembley is the big one that I've seen at, I guess it was it live aid or something like that. Huge, incredible audience. It's just mm -hmm. her and her guitar. And when I watch that video, I think, you know, if there was space for Tracy Chapman at that time in history to, to bring her voice to to the world in the way that she was able to so much is possible and i think it's true for sean colvin and the other people and and women creators who were able to have so much success during that time uh it like looking back and seeing all the progress we've made if you just take some of the queer women who had success in that era melissa etheridge katie lang tracy chapman I think about that and I'm like, how did they do that? Because, you know, it's, it's still, you know, not a cakewalk 30 years later and they were, they were making it happen and they were at the absolute top of the game, you know, and there are certainly uh, Sean Colvin's and Tracy Chapman's and uh, Melissa Etheridge's and Ani DeFranco's and all sorts of people who, who we'll never hear from because they didn't break through in the same way, but that whole cohort of singer songwriters is just it's, it's such a rich tradition from which to emerge and it inspires me you know that if they could break through with their voices and guitars or pianos you know it it never that tradition never dies even if it uh waxes and wanes in popularity it's a classic format that is just to me never going to get old uh, a human voice with uh, a stringed instrument you know to me is always enough. And sometimes it's all I want to hear. I'm thinking of um, the Carter family. 
But yeah, I mean, you think back to Maybell Carter, like the the very beginnings of recorded country music and and the voice and the stringed instrument joining together. And then that just continues, especially in this American tradition over a hundred years, you know, and it's just like, I can't get enough of it. You could, you could dig in forever or like Laura Nero with her, she was a pianist, right? Like just Mm -hmm. the voice and the instrument. If we're going to go back to Laura Nero, we have to, we have to bring up Joan Baez. Of course. <laughs> Joan Baez really uh, set the mold for so many after her. That's absolutely true. And, and you know, and there, she's, she's working in this era with, you know, James Taylor and all these brilliant artists and there's Simon and Garfunkel emerging. And it's just like, it, it's a big swirl and it never ends. And John Sebastian at Woodstock with the guitar and the tie-dye. It's like, there, you, it is so deep. You could dig so deep in this world of singer-songwriters, folk musicians, country artists. And this this is kind of, to me, the little swirl that Americana comes out of, you know, where it's just that space for people who want to make, you know, I won't even say straightforward music, but want to make authentic music uh, with a message about what it's like to be alive as a human in that time. You know who doesn't always, will always get her due because she was part of a trio. Remember Peter, Paul, and Mary? Yeah, Mary. How can we never hear Mary? You're so right. You're so right. And it, yeah, it's like, it's an interesting thing. It's an interesting thing. And I isn't it true that we're correcting the record on so much these days? It's, it's hard to even keep up, but it's, uh, there's always more to learn and, and, more places where we can dig for those influences and those sounds and visions that ended up, you know, building the musical world we live in today. Very much so. Well, since you brought up uh, the Carter family matriarch, it's going to be a good lead into uh, uh, family uh, music legacies, including your own. But uh, before we move on to that, so the Carter family, if we combine that with, June's marriage to Johnny Cash. I want to talk mm-hmm. about generational. Then from uh, Johnny Cash, we got Roseanne Cash in the 70s. Oh, yeah. You know, still, you know, continuing decades beyond that. But but adding a new twist, you know, to the family sound. And then I think by the 90s, was that Carlene Carter, you know, came mm-hmm. out. So it's interesting how it, within the family, you get that influence, but each new generation is a product of their own time. Absolutely. It's a beautiful thing to watch unfold. And, and you know, it, whether somebody takes the family tradition and sort of replicates it with their own minor spin or they go in a completely different direction, the, the DNA is, is often traceable and it's the same. And, and that's what's incredible about, about music and, and creation. I once, as a teenager, made the mistake of saying to my late stepfather, the guitarist, Pete Hetlinger, I, I was just starting to write and perform and stuff. And I said something to the effect of, you know, well, there's just nothing new that, you know, you're just not going to write the new song. There's nothing new that can be done. And he looked at me like I had three heads. He was like, how can you say that and still make music? Like you can't, you cannot do that. There is always something that has never been heard before waiting to express itself 
And that, you know, that's where formats like pop music um, or, you know, newer emerging genres are such a great place to watch because that's where you really do get to hear sounds that that feel like they're coming out of space or coming out of a completely, you know, new column. And it's it's really exciting. Uh, and then even just digging down into the singer-songwriter world, there's always more you can do with the the English language in my case, you know, and that's where I like to live. Um, but you can trace it in, in any genre. Well, you're from three generations of musicians. You got to grow up around this. Uh, how did that influence you? Yeah, you know, it, it's, I mean, I'm incredibly lucky to have grown up in this world and it's definitely the family business. So I don't, you know, I had a job uh, in an office briefly after college, you know, where I went and worked kind of nine to five, um, was so excited to have a W-2 tax form and and have some type of salary. But after a couple of weeks, I, I was just beside myself. I was like, is this, what is a job? What do people do? I had grown up watching my parents, you know, go out on the road with their artists or be out at shows at night and, you know, still working a kind of nine to five hours, but it involved a lot of travel and a lot of excitement and uh, a lot of different dynamics at play that I always found exciting. And, and when I found myself in a, in a different structure, I, I could not, uh, could not move forward. It was so foreign to me. So I'm really, really lucky to have gotten to see, you know, a, a different, a different way of life. That's not necessarily depicted uh very often but i found very exciting and luckily naturally gra gravitated toward it influenced me in that way in the sense that i just kind of could never go back uh to anything else and also you know in many ways it it uh made me maybe more gun shy in my youth you know hearing really sophisticated but at times harsh critiques of artists and and seeing how many people pursue music careers who who don't make it or who suffer and struggle also seeing the extremes of success like somebody like Vince or you know incredible hit songwriters especially uh in the time before music streaming you know so just seeing that seeing the way you could make a life in music was the biggest thing to me but it also you know plants in your head like you have to want this this is not an easy world to live in and you have to you have to be ready to 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 take a lot of heat uh to make it through this and i think that was probably a lesson i needed to learn did your family do country music yeah yeah so i mean not not exclusively um my dad is has always been kind of on the more rock side of things and and that kind of 60s era when i was growing up he worked with uh, grand funk railroad and the beach boys and uh uh leon redbone is has been uh, a longtime client and friend of his and then yeah my mom was uh kind of more in the bluegrass world my grandma was a publicist for ralph stanley my mom has worked with vince for over 30 years and uh, a lot of incredible artists over the years growing up uh, and to this day. So she's definitely in the country lane. My dad's in the rock lane. Uh, and then uh, other family members, my uncle Jason and my aunt Jewel are in the publishing world. And my grandfather was a 
a writer and editor at Billboard magazine. So it's it's really all over the map. And as I mentioned before, um, my late stepfather, Pete Huttlinger, was a fingerstyle guitarist who taught me so much in the time that we were able to spend together. And, you know, I was, you know, in high school and got to see him perform at Carnegie Hall and have that experience kind of from from behind the scenes. And it it was really, really inspiring and, and just very beautiful and special way to grow up, um, even if it was a little unorthodox at times. Mm-hmm. Now we do have to set the record straight. You have a YouTube video, I think it's called. I am not related I'm not to Jim related. Croce. <laughs> I love but Jim I'm... Croce, but but it, we are not related. <laughs> Isn't Della Croce more of just like the full last name? Yeah, you're exactly correct. Um, Italian language speakers might recognize it. Della means of the, and Croce means cross. So it's of the cross. It's a good Catholic last name, but it is two words, both capitalized, definitely separated. That is, that is the last name. I have a whole <laughs> other middle name, which shall not be revealed for just for no reason, but I, I, I can't complicate it anymore for people. But yeah, I do have a middle name and it's not Della. <laughs> so wouldn't you like to go back to Italy and here's just with some thick accent, you know, Della Croce. Exactly, Della Croce. I, I can't wait for that day. Uh, you're planning a tour for next year? Oh, actually, next month, I'm going to Germany for a month, and I'm going to be um, promoting an album that I wrote and recorded with my my great friend Judith Beckedorf, who's a German fingerstyle guitar player. We made an album called The Other Side, um, which will be released at the end of September digitally. And yeah, we're going to be going on tour uh, through all of September across Germany. I'm really excited. I've never been to Germany before, and uh, I can't wait to experience the the beautiful country. And it seems like incredible audiences over there. Like music is seems very important uh, to people over there. So I'm I'm pumped to get in front of a, a new audience. Well, you'll be there just in time for Oktoberfest. Oh, I didn't even think about that. I picked the wrong time to stop drinking. <laughs> oh no! Well, you know you can still get those big pretzels. Oh, I mean, and that'll never be out of my life. So yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, as a, as a 10 plus year vegetarian, I would be lying if I said I'm not concerned about what the, what the food landscape of Germany might hold for me, but I'm ready to do my research. And I know pretzels, as far as I know, are well within the scope of uh, my definition of vegetarianism. So I cannot wait to, to experience them firsthand. Well, then you can put sauerkraut on everything. That's true. So it's a, it's time for me to get into sauerkraut, which I guess is just cabbage, right? I, these are things I should know. It's just fermented cabbage, so you're good there. Amazing. Amazing. I'm in the kombucha world right now, so it's it's about time to add another fermented product to my repertoire. Kombucha is the gateway drug to sauerkraut. <laughs> That's right. You heard it here first. I want to make sure people know how to find you on social media and where to see your cool I am not Jim Croce video. Yeah, so you can find me all over the internet at uh, seandelacroce.com in particular. That's S-E-A-N and then Delacroce, D-E-L-L-A-C-R-O-C-E. 
Luckily, the benefit of having such a complicated last name is that nobody else had the domain and nobody else has the Instagram handle. So Sean Delacroce, even if you horribly misspell it in Google, it should be corrected. And you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, uh, and at my website, Spotify and Apple Music under Sean Delacroce. It'll all be there. And YouTube. And that's where they can see the Rebecca Henry video we've been talking about. Yes, please go um, like, comment, and subscribe. And yeah, in the comments, go tag your crush who you're afraid to talk to. And I'll use the YouTube sphere as a place to uh, facilitate that introduction. And you can use the video as an excuse. Now, I was seeing another video with you in it. Um, uh -huh. It's a live show, and you're singing with another woman. And I want to say, like, maybe she's doing a cover of a song you wrote, but you're playing guitar with her. Oh, that might be my recent performance with uh, the luminous Gail Davies at the Bluebird Cafe yeah. here in Nashville. So Gail was one of my mom's clients um, back in the day, and she lives around the corner from me. She's an awesome person, a very cool, insightful woman who has stories for days and and a backbone like steel. I learned so much from her. And uh, we were having having drinks and appetizers at her house, and she was really kind enough to to let me know that she had listened to Illuminations, and she enjoyed a song called Pacific Coast Heartbreak. And she invited me to uh, to perform it uh at her set uh in the middle of her set at the bluebird uh about two months ago and uh it was it was super i was uh in heaven and uh emmy lou harris had joined her that night for a song as well and was in the audience and i had the chance to shake her hand and thank her for her service and yeah gail gail is just absolutely the coolest and uh she she invited me to to play pacific coast heartbreak and she joined me on the harmonies which is a yeah, life highlight because she is a, a tremendous talent and wise woman indeed. That's quite a title, Pacific Coast Heartbreak. I know, right? It's a play on words, PCH. <laughs> the uh, well, for those who don't know, the Pacific Coast Highway, I'm assuming. That's right. That's right. Yep, exactly. Now, have you been down the Pacific Coast Highway? I have. And we actually made the album in San Diego. Um, so I've, I've spent a little bit of time in Southern California. I've enjoyed every single trip I've ever been on to that wonderful place. And uh, yeah, yeah, the song is about a little pilgrimage out there for for someone. And it's uh, yeah, so that's the reference. So the Bluebird Cafe, it makes me think that if you go to Nashville, you know, not, like not everything has to be a giant concert hall, but it seems like you probably hear some of the best music at these just little little clubs that dot the streets here and there. Yeah, absolutely. I would definitely recommend um, all tourists uh, hang out on Broadway for sure. But if you are uh, serious about music, um, there are some some which tour. No, no disrespect to tourists, but if you're if you're here to party. Broadway is going to be your place. But if you are here to listen to great music, the Bluebird Cafe is the place you want to go to. And a place like the Station Inn, which is downtown, walking distance to a lot of places. Um, nothing wrong with a good honky-tonk because they are they are incredible um, little dots on this globe of uh, magnificent music and debauchery. But the Bluebird is a wonderful place to hear songwriters from across the ages and uh, 
and new storytellers up and coming. So Bluebird is awesome. Station in. Our landscape of live music is changing here. Uh, it's a little bit under threat these days, but the Bluebird, I think, will will stand strong. So if I go to Nashville, and this is what I always want to know about every town, Dive Bar has the worst karaoke. The worst karaoke? Mm. As, you, you know, as opposed, because I assume everyone's a great singer there and you're going to hear nothing but great. I mean, now we got to be honest, it depends on the time of night <laughs> and, and where we are with um, respect to last call for drinks. I mean, some people get better with alcohol, some people get worse, and some people don't need any help sounding good or bad. But I mean, I'll tell you right now, one of my favorite places, and this, the, the performers here are incredible, but Santa's Pub and the house band at Santa's Pub is pretty incredible. And that is a dive to end all dives. It's a trailer um, that, that is Christmas themed all year round. Um, there's a great house oh, band wow. called Santa's Ice Cold Pickers and they rock. And you know, the karaoke you're going to get there, it'll, it'll be a mixed bag like any good karaoke, but definitely some talent comes yeah. through and, and you're also going to get a couple, couple strikeouts, which are always fun to watch, you know, uh fun to watch somebody face plant well, that sounds tell the fun tale. oh yeah decorated like christmas year round i'm sold smoking aloud inside wow you don't yeah, see if that you really anymore. want to go back in time i mean it's clear the big mistake people make is is not having a realistic um gauge of their abilities and that is where we can get into trouble and that that is some of the best stuff to watch right it's like a like a car crash and you can't look away. <laughs> well, you're right, because you have to find something in your range. Yeah, your favorite song by your favorite artist may not be the one that uh, that is best for your voice or for your uh, reputation. It's probably good, like, not to go up and do Mariah Carey unless you've practiced it a few times. Absolutely. I mean, I don't want to do Mariah Carey. I don't want anyone <laughs> except Mariah Carey to do Mariah Carey. <laughs> So when you were first starting out and paying your dues, uh, did you do a lot of open mic? You know, I've done I've done my fair share of open mics. I think in Nashville, it's the a good equivalent would be not not exactly equivalent, but like writers rounds, where you have four songwriters up mm -hmm. on stage and you take turns and you go one by one, and uh, those those are all over the place here, and especially starting out, although they're they're great at any stage played a lot of writers rounds open mics open mics not so much open mics are it's a it's dicey territory but uh but if you can get on any bill that's a good thing especially starting out so no uh no shade to any to any situation on stage so write rounds is that when you're introducing songs you've written yeah exactly so it's like four four or five people up on stage at one time and you all sit there and one person will sing their song and tell their story. Then the next person, it goes on down the line and cycles through maybe three times, three or four times. And then, yeah. And then that's the show. Do you remember the first time you did one of those? Yeah, I think it was, it was downtown somewhere. It was definitely in kind of a, in a bar and there were, you know, maybe four people in the audience and, Two of them were my friends. So yeah, it's it's a cool thing though, because you get to meet other artists and um 
you know, you get to make connections and sometimes you're very different from the other artists and sometimes it's a really good fit. So <clears throat> yeah, I think I, I was probably 17 or something like that. Sounds like when you started, you were already pretty confident. I mean, did you go through any period of doubt in your career? Every morning when I wake up, I mean, <laughs> I think, I think the thing that I maybe gleaned through watching what my parents did for a living and the artists around them is just like, the only thing you can do is be yourself. And it sounds like a cliche, but it's a hundred percent true. You know, you can't emulate somebody else. We all have influences, but you're going to get so much feedback um, from so many diverse perspectives that you really have to, to know what your goal is and, and singularly strive for that. And, uh, you know, there's probably three people whose opinion I really take on board and, and everything else is, is just, uh, is way out at arm's length. And I don't remember who I heard say this, but somebody said something to the effect of, you know, if you, if you believe the, the good things people say about you, you also have to believe the bad things, you know, so don't read your own reviews and stuff like that. So I, I definitely subscribe to that. I'm not a hermit by any means, but you know, you do your own thing. You're going to get crazy questions and ridiculous questions and nutty feedback and insulting feedback. And you just have to let it roll off and move forward. And that's true. If you're 17 years old, it's true. If you're 75 years old, you know, you're not going to make music that is for everybody. And as long as the people you trust and respect are honest with you, you can always grow and evolve and get better. But, um, but yeah, you know, it's, it's intimidating to play in front of a crowd, but you can get over that and, uh, and, and just be a little, be a little fighter. That's how I feel about it. So the album illuminations, you've got 12 tracks on it. How do you like people to approach something like this album? Yeah. I mean, I want people to listen on the worst earbuds possible. I want them to be constantly pausing because they're ordering at Starbucks in between listening to my songs. And then, you know, one earbud falls out and then they, they stop it all together. But in all seriousness, when Alan Dermo, my producer and I crafted this, this was something we talked about all the time, knowing full well that it was unlikely that many people or most people who came to the music would listen to it front to back. We crafted it to be listened to from track one, drop the needle um, to the very end and as a full experience with a narrative arc. And I had, you know, wild, a beautiful mind, maps all over my room where I had drawn the narrative arc of this album and all the different iterations it could have taken and we landed on this one. And so ideally somebody would listen to it on headphones or good big speakers and, you know, have a glass of wine or a kombucha and, and sit down and listen to it all start to finish. Um, any way that somebody wants to consume music is okay with me, but, you know, preferably as close to your ears as possible with a, a certain level of attention available is a, is a fun way to do it or in the, the, the right emotional state where you need music. You know, that's how I like to consume music often. Isn't it a bummer when you listen to something start to finish and you go, Oh, Oh, they didn't care. <laughs> they didn't care what, what came next because it wasn't geared for that. It's rare, but every now and then you hear something and you're like, Oh, I think this was meant to be shuffled. I want the artist to tell me, tell me another story alongside the tunes so that's what we tried to do well even if you're not consciously doing it isn't an album basically 
a diary or a time capsule of your life? I think so. Absolutely. That's how I experienced the music, at least. You know, that may be different for different uh, performers or genres. But yeah, my goal is to express something and to accompany the listener through the range of emotions that I have available through these songs. And and yeah, so it's definitely a, a time capsule and, a, you know, and a, and a special place where we go. And I want to cultivate that in, in every element of the album. Well, you do one other project in addition to your music. You are co-founder and editor of Broadside, which is a quarterly journal. Um, how did all that come about? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Broadside has been on, on hiatus recently, but it was a, a really special project that came about in 2016 with myself and uh, a few friends from college where we we collected and printed a literal broadside, you know, um, 17 by 11 or 7 by 11 uh, tabloid sheets where we published poetry, prose, um, you know, analysis, song lyrics, illustrations, uh, all created by women identified people. And it, yeah, there were four sections. And uh, it was a, just a wonderful analog space to share ideas. And it was distributed freely across the city of Nashville and in some other locations like Seattle. And uh, it was a really awesome project. It was kind of a nonprofit format where we just put out um, work of, of women creatives. And it was a really gratifying thing that uh, I'm, I'm so proud to have been a part of and to, to continue the, the spirit of it uh, in everything I do. Mm -hmm. Very daring to put out a print media nowadays. You know, well, even that was back kind in of the, the day, whole thing. Yeah. I remember in the 80s, you know, first seeing literary journal, even back then, it was like a struggle to keep something like that going. It's just so amazing you're able to do that so recently. Well, you know, it was like I said, it was a free, a free thing. And we were really, um, we were really realistic and restricted in, in a good way in what we chose to pursue. So I mean, it was literally one sheet of paper, we printed a hundred sheets of paper, folded them up and put them all over town. The hardest part was, you know, selecting the, the different articles and essays and, and pieces of art that would, would accompany it. But our overhead was pretty low. And the whole goal was to just share women's voices. And we definitely accomplished that. You know, if we had tried to make something that was bound, I think we'd be in a whole different category. And that was, we just wanted to put stuff out and, uh, and share stories and, and so you're not wrong to point out that it's really challenging to be in print media. I, I can't even imagine, really. We, we kept it simple and kind of inspired by the, the riot girl generation of sort of zines and just do what you can. And, and that's what we did. Nice. And being an editor, I bet you learned a lot. You know, we live in this era of DIY online. It's really easy to post our own articles but uh, did you learn anything interesting? Like even with good writers, it's it's still nice to have some direction with an editor. Oh yeah, I think it's really helpful to have um, to have certain constraints on what you're doing too, and and sometimes an eye in the sky who can tell you when you've kind of gone out of bounds, or if you're you know maybe that needs to be a whole other essay and it's not fitting in this essay, and then let alone the kind of little details and 
proofreading elements that that are always required when whenever we fix anything uh, in tangible form. So yeah, being an editor was great, and I you know, you know, it's a great you know power trip and all that jazz. <laughs> so I have to be honest, I I enjoy that role and kind of looking over things and trying to conceptually make uh, varied elements work together and harmonize. And, and that was always a really fun challenge. And I shared it with my, my colleagues at Broadside and we all brought our, our brains together to try to, to curate a really cool space um, for storytelling. And, uh, and yeah, being an editor was really fun. And I, uh, I, I definitely take that approach to my music as well. You know, you write a song and you got to go back and, and look at it in the light of day and say, is this actually saying what I want it to say? Are there superfluous words in here or themes or ideas that maybe need to be their own songs or maybe need to be cut out completely or tweaked to make this understandable to a total stranger who's going to just happen upon these lyrics. And then the real question is discerning if that's even what needs to happen. You know, some songs are so far out there that editing them just completely kills the magic. And so really knowing when when to to adjust and when to let a piece of art just be this little living, you know, living thing. Um, it's a tough it's a tough line to draw, but it's it's always our our calling. <laughs> Do you want to publish a book of poetry? Oh, that that's I've never thought about that. I have honestly never thought about that. I think that would be incredible. You know, I, I read poetry and um my partner just turned me on to uh, a book of poems by Ocean Vuong called uh, Time as a Mother. And that's a really beautiful collection. And when I read that, I'm completely intimidated and over my head. And I'm like, wow, how does anybody do this? A lot of people say that lyric writing is like poetry. And I, I appreciate that. And I think it's, it's, of course, true in many ways. But when I read contemporary poets and really great poets, I go, whoa, you know, Mary Oliver, they're doing something, something different. And uh, what what would it be like to to be able to touch that? I don't know. If you weren't uh, doing singing and songwriting, uh, what would your creative outlet be? Mm, I mean, the first thing that comes to my mind is like woodworking. <laughs> I really love like uh, crafting things and doing projects. I mean, there's there's uh, there's no other artistic medium that really. Uh, that I that I could even begin to to encounter. I, I'm not a visual thinker per se, or I I, I can't render things visually um, the way that that artists can. And so I'm I am a great appreciator of other art forms, but I I have no driving desire to participate in them except as a total tourist, you know, who like takes one pottery class. But woodworking is something that I kind of enjoy, and I'm total novice ad and it's a great place to go where I can um, can express some creativity and see tangible progress and also the stakes are are zero I guess it's high stakes if I if I cut off a finger or something that would that would be a, a high stakes thing to happen but outside of that it's something I can do for myself that uh, doesn't matter if it's good enough or on the level it just has to be a fun process Mm -hmm. Well, I want to give you the last word here, and, and you've touched upon so many great things. Obviously, my favorite is, you know, talking about Nashville dive karaoke bars. Uh, 
<laughs> um, I, I'm really excited that you're touring Germany and so many musicians who weren't able to tour during COVID are now. But I just want from your perspective, how important is it for you and just musicians in general to be able to tour? It's incredibly important. And I appreciate you asking that question because it's been it's been a real black eye to so many artists, if not a fatal blow. And, you know, it's hard enough to make a living, especially with the streaming landscape being what it is. Uh, there's so much it's it's there. We live in such a, a world of scarcity when it comes to the arts here. And, um, you know, the pandemic was just a just a horrible time in that respect. Not to mention how challenging it was for the world as a whole and the individuals who who had to suffer uh, COVID-19, especially during those early days. But yeah, I mean, touring was absolutely decimated. And and I think people are still getting their sea legs coming back. You know, audiences are excited to see people again, but we continue to see waves of COVID and everything feels kind of precarious. So it means the world to me to get to go to Germany and play music for people in person. Um, I'm so grateful because like many people during the pandemic, I was looking down, you know, the barrel of this abyss and wondering how we were going to land the plane, how I was going to land the plane of my career, how we were going to get out of this because it was not looking good. And um, the fact that we're on the other side of it, and able to perform and to release music and get out there and share it is is really really special and i think at least for me after all this time it's like you you can't take it for granted because it could go away and you realize how elemental that human connection is and how much you miss it when it's gone so i am beyond grateful and excited uh to take my music uh, over to Germany and and to to come back with a new set of experiences and stories and inspiration for some some new work and I uh, yeah I I am very grateful at this time lucky duck hey I'm just so excited for you I know you're gonna wow them in Germany and it's gonna be a really big adventure for you thank you so much and I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me your questions were just so interesting and wonderful you stumped me a couple times and i i just appreciate what you're doing and the the platform that you're creating for artists to share their stories and their work so thank you i'm giving you a little peace bow from via skype appreciate you <laughs>